Welcome to Obsessed with Design, a show about what makes designers tick. I'm your host, Josh Miles. Before we get into today's episode, I want to give a special thank you for all of you for making episode number 108 our highest single download day ever in the history of the show. If you haven't already listened to that one, check it out at obsessedshow.com or you can watch the full video version over at youtube.com slash joshmiles. Today we have another special treat, my good friend Steven Tyler. Uh, no, different Steven Tyler. He has a new podcast called No Indie, K-N-O-W-I-N-D-Y.com. He's shared his latest episode with us, which is episode seven, part one of his interview with Aaron Skimhorn, Driven to Create. Aaron Skimhorn is an Indianapolis-based artist. He's created artwork for musicians, including Cake, Mayor Hawthorne, and Bayside, and is known for his unique style of screen print portraits. In this episode, Aaron talks about what it was like to be raised by two artist parents and how he found his way to screen printing and what drives him to create. So without further ado, please enjoy Steven Tyler's conversation with Aaron Scamahorn. I think at the root of all creation is obviously that desire for other people to see it and appreciate it. I'm Steven Tyler, and this is No Indie. Each week on the show, I share a conversation with one of the good people doing their best right here in Indianapolis. This is episode seven, and today's guest is a prolific Indianapolis-based screen print artist, Aaron Scamahorn. I have been a fan of Aaron's work for a long time. In fact, I briefly met Aaron about seven years ago. I am by no means an art aficionado, but I had been following his work and just happened to recognize him across the room at a gallery open house. I remember being a little maybe intimidated, uh, but I introduced myself and told him what a fan I was of his work. And despite my awkwardness, he was of course gracious in return. Uh, after that, we didn't cross paths again until I asked him to come on the show. So I was really excited to record this interview. As usual, this interview will be released in two parts. This is part one. I'm then going to take a week off for Thanksgiving and part two will be released on November 29th. Be sure to listen to the end of this episode. Aaron's work is currently on display at the Tube Factory, so I'll provide a few details about that and one other item that will be referenced in our interview. Thank you for listening. Here is part one of my conversation with Aaron Scamahorn. So Ron Luhorn. Yeah. I thought it was Roland Horn for like, oh, the last seven years because I just didn't read. How did you pronounce it? <laughs> Roland Horn. Roland Horn. <laughs> it's not even phonetically accurate if you That's look at funny. how it's spelled. Right. <laughs> uh, do you want to give me a little background on sure. that just so I have it? Yeah. I mean, uh, my last name's Scamahorn and uh, all throughout growing up, I always had it, people uh, mispronounce it um, and it's got some much better mispronunciations to go along with that. Uh, th- my favorite so far being scrambled porn. Whoa. <laughs> it was like, I'm not even going to try a scrambled porn. <laughs> um, but no, Ron Luhorn started as a um, typography class experiment. And we were supposed to take letters from words, break them apart, put them back together. Um, and I used my full name, Aaron Lewis Scamahorn, um, and just took parts of each of that and smashed them together. So Ron from Aaron, Lou from Lewis. 
and Horn from Scamahorn together became Ronlu Horn. And it was just a typography class thing. But it, I was like, oh, I love that word. And it looked really cool. And I did a bunch of design around it um, for our senior project. And I just, it's stuck ever since. Really? And I thought, you know, if you Google it, nothing else is ever going to come up. There's other Scamahorns, even though it's a, a weird name. Um, Ronlu Horn was obviously something that's not going to show up in Google. So, right. Yeah. So you just adopted and kept right. it. Exactly. That's awesome. Yeah. Um, so both your parents were artists. Yeah, they were. What's the first memory you have of creating art with your parents? Uh, mom still has it. It was a, a drawing of my dad's car. It was a Honda. Oh, it was a beater old gray car, but it had gotten flat tires. And so I drew a, like a, a little line drawing of, of that car with flat tires. And, and mom was like, Oh, there's, there's something here. This is, this is super solid. Um, and I think I was only in like kindergarten or something, but, uh, yeah, I remember seeing that hang mom was an art teacher and she had hung that, that picture in her classroom, her entire career there. And it was always cool to see that. What did she, did she, I mean, did she actually see something in it that she thought this is, this yeah, is how, I mean, what I did mean, she see in it? Is I, it? Am I going to pull it up? And it's like the Mona Lisa. <laughs> of a flat tire car? I think it was accuracy of like the, the kind of car. Okay. I haven't ever really actually talked to her about it, but, uh, um, yeah, I think that the fact that I figured I knew how to draw like a cartoon version of what a flat tire would be. I think it was something clicked there, but yeah. That's funny. Um, your dad was a ceramic artist. Yeah. Yeah. Ooh. He went to school. Pots um, or what? Like, yeah, through, um, it's, it was all pottery. Um, he was kind of lived in a, a little, uh, artist community after college where it was just people creating and he was doing the pottery thing full time and then later moved on to be a teacher. Um, but I had always continued the pottery as a side business and doing shows on in the summertime and whatnot. So I grew up around that a bunch. Where was the artist colony? Um, somewhere in Illinois, I think. Southern Illinois. I'm not sure. I don't okay. remember what it was called, but I have some of his mugs from that time when he created those. Were you alive at this time? No. No, it was no, before yeah. you. It was right before my parents got married. Okay. And yeah. then, so your mom was a teacher and he became a teacher? He did eventually. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Both, both teaching art? No, um, dad no. was teaching English and, uh, then he moved on to helping kids get their GED. Oh, wow. Yeah. Okay. Um, did one of your parents spend more time with you creating art than the other? Um, I remember specifically mom did. She always pushed really hard cause I'd want to draw the cartoony version of things. And I always wanted to make things uh, slightly macabre and, uh, <laughs> and I was gotten so much trouble for drawing skulls and, and, uh, she would, push me in a way that would, was like, you know, if you draw something that was a little more realistic, you know, it's something you could use later as a career. Come to find out here, I'm like drawing skulls and, and oh like gosh. robots and stuff to, for gig busters. Was yeah. she always pushing for you to be an artist or was it just something she saw that she wanted to encourage? Um, she was pushing the creative side, um, but they definitely uh, were the main reason why I chose art education as a career path. Cause it was like, Hey, if you're, we're in middle Indiana, uh, if you want to guarantee that there's some opportunity for a career with art, um, teaching's the way to go was okay. the message that I got kind of. Um, so I went through that whole program as a result of that push and then realized, man, I hate middle schoolers. <laughs> They're the worst. It's <laughs> <laughs> just little assholes. There's nothing you can do with the, the regulations and stuff as to how you're able to actually punish now. Like, so what age did your mom teach? Um, she taught all middle school and high school at a place called White's. Um, it's a correctional facility. Okay. It's just shy of boys school and girls school. Um, so it was kind of a, 
a not super willing audience too. So she had a, a rough go of it, but every okay. now and then. This is interesting. So she taught a people, a group of people that didn't want to be taught at all. Yeah. You taught probably an overenthusiastic audience as middle schoolers. Well, actually, that was a big part as to why I hated it too, is because it's like out of the electives, you have to choose from a small um, middle school in rural Indiana. Because I went and um, student taught at the school that I graduated from. Uh, the out of the electives, you're like you're gonna do shop class, you're gonna do home ec, you want to do art. It's like, well, you know, hey, I can sit over here and doodle and probably screw off more than I can in shop class or whatever. Um, so, about I'd say seventy five percent of the kids didn't really want to be there either. There's like maybe three gyms in each class where you're like, this person really wants to learn. And yeah. I see. Okay. What was her teaching style? Or do you know, um, it sounds like she was going after a different population of kids in her education. Do you, I guess, did her teaching style influence you at all? Like when did she teach you? Yeah. I mean, I think she tried really hard to just get at the core fundamentals of things that if there was someone who wanted to take it further, they'd have some of the, the basics that would be needed. Did you guys ever do any work together? Um, we have more recently in the last few years, really? actually. Um, she found a stamp maker who, um, she makes a lot of jewelry now. Um, and she does a lot of uh, critters and like small toy whistle kind of things out of clay. Okay. And so this stamp maker guy uh, can take a, a vector image and make a stamp for her. And so she can use that to recreate stuff. So she has this idea where she's like, hey, I want to do a... Um, a lot of the shops she's has work in up in Wabash where they live, um, are like the, the local town art shop deal. So she's like, I want to do a Wabash themed one. Um, so I illustrated the courthouse and the guy made a stamp of it. And so she uses that for that's cool. Making joy. Yeah. Do you guys fun. ever have, uh, visions for a show together? Oh, I don't know. Um, <laughs> I was wondering, like, would you yeah. see influence of your work, like from your mom? Like if you looked at her stuff, is there like a derivative? You're gonna be like, oh, wow, I see where he got this inspiration from. You know, I think the the main connection through those things is um, I was always really impressed with portraits that she would do. Um, she did a lot of chalk portraiture of kids for friends and family. Um, I was always really impressed with those. And I like that. And portraiture is a huge part of where my creative passions lie now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. You seem like an artist, like to the T, like if I think about like <laughs> describing an artist, like you kind of come through as that, did you come to a place where you decided that art was what you wanted to do? Yeah. I mean, I think early on it was, it was the thing that got me attention and the thing that like helped me stand out, um, as, as something that other people weren't really having as much as me, um, like kids in class asking me to draw a cartoon of them, like a little caricature and whatnot. Um, and I think at the root of all creation is obviously that desire for other people to see it and appreciate it and get that, um, recognition, whatever that may be at the, at the root of that, that drive. And so I, I saw some response and so I wanted to continue with that. Okay. Do you think, do you think there's something else out there that you could have done that you would have been fulfilled doing? Um, you know, I love to cook and I've thought many times that if, if I wasn't doing art, I'd, I'd pursue some sort of chef kind of deal. Okay. Yeah. But still creating something. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Definitely not anything super manual labor. Or yeah. Technical. <laughs> uh, so far outside of the other hemisphere of my brain. When did you come to the like true realization that this is it? Like, I mean, I guess you say you get the attention from all your peers, but 
like, I don't know what I, I wasn't good enough at anything. Anybody ever noticed me for it. So I can't relate to that. <laughs> but um, you went to go pursue teaching in the art field and you had a realization at some point that the art creating art is what you really wanted to do. Yeah. Um, when I first started at school, I needed a job um, to help pay the bills. And there was a friend of mine living in the dorm who had gotten a, a gig at the campus recreation offices offices where they would be doing uh, design for campus events like mm-hmm. posters and t-shirts, um, promotional things for just in-house campus stuff. Um, not, not any outward marketing or anything, but it was just like for the dorms and campus life. And he was a freshman just like me, um, didn't have a ton of experience in the design programs either, um, but they hired him. So I was like, man, if they hired him, I think I can get hired. And uh, had never touched a Macintosh before, had never designed anything before oh other than doodles and and things that were drawings of logos. Um, but I was like, I can, I can pull this off. So they hired me just knowing that I was an art major of sorts, even though it was art education. Um, clearly didn't ask for a portfolio or anything <laughs> or any sort of references. Um, but yeah, I jumped in and I just started messing around. And the, I remember the very first time I'd opened Illustrator on a Macintosh, I, um, I was a big fan of Shepard Fairey at the time. It was 2002. And, uh, I just tried to recreate his illustration of Andre the Giant in yeah. Illustrator. And uh, man, I still have the file. It's it's terrible. <laughs> it's so bad. I like, didn't understand how handlebars would work on pen tool lines. And, um, oh, yeah. those are, man, those will make you cuss. Oh my gosh, right? When you start now, it's the worst. Um, but so, yeah, I, I learned the ropes there, made some things that I was really proud of um, for some campus promotional things. Uh, and by the end of my senior year of, of working at that job, I had like this giant list of all these shirts that I'd created that nearly everyone on campus had gotten one. Oh, wow. um, so you see your work everywhere on campus. And so I knew that there was, there was a design aspect that I was definitely um, drawn to. So all the electives I had free space for when I wasn't in educational philosophy and the garbage classes that, that you have to take as a teacher, um, I was, I was filling them with design courses and photography and illustration and stuff. And um, when I finally decided that I didn't want to do art education, I only had like a semester left to finish a graphics degree. So I went back and finished all those other classes up. Um, but yeah, just that process of creating a product, seeing people interact with that, use it in their daily life. And then seeing it around was like, Oh yeah, I like that. I want to do more of that. Did, uh, seeing all the people you knew wearing your shirt, did that desensitize you to your work being published at an early age or did it like feed the, feed the beast that you're like, oh, I like people seeing my stuff and I want them to see it more. Yeah, it is like a, it is like a high. I mean, the first time you, you have each one of those little milestones where it's like, hey, there's a couple people wearing this shirt. Now there's 100 people buying the CD with your album art on it. Um, now there's a, a globally famous band promoting your poster that you created for them. I mean, each time you hit that, that next milestone, it's like, oh, yes, finally there. And then what's the next one? Uh-huh. Yeah, that's the question. Um. So the work you're most well-known for now is screen printing. It's a really involved process. Um, what was your progression in like art disciplines that took you from a pin drawing of a flat-tired car to one of the more elaborate art processes of doing the screen printing? Like, did you learn other several, several of the disciplines in between? You know, um, the gig poster push all came from I grew up playing um, in punk bands in high school and college and just had a real passion for, for playing music. 
Um, but I had a, a friend in school who sold his guitar and was like, I just need to focus on one thing so I can be fully good at that instead of spreading myself so thin. And I was like, man, you know, it makes a lot of sense. And it wasn't until well after college that I finally gave up on trying to get in bands and stuff. But um, that that push of of dialing it in and establishing um, a passion that you can mix into your creative process was what drove me to wanting to do music marketing. So I'd originally just designed some flyers for some, uh, for MOKB here in town mm-hmm. and, uh, just local promotional stuff. And then I was like, you know, I want to take this to that next level. And I'd kind of gotten to a point where I was feeling a little bit of the, the day-to-day trudge of, um, stuck in a cubicle and not really feeling like I was creating as much as I could. And I, and I had some of that background of, of, growing up with a uh, ceramic artists of creating things with your hands and kind of had an itch for some of that. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was like, I want to take these flyers that I've been designing and create art out of them and, and get into screen printing. Um, I'd been a fan of Shepard Fairey, like I said, for a long time. And uh, that led to discovering a ton of other gig poster artists that I'm still following um, that I was like, man, I feel like I can do this. It's a, it's a handmade process that you can buy cheap enough supplies to be able to pull it off. It's not like uh, a lithograph or something crazy. We have to get like a stone and, and mm. acid and etch and um, materials that are kind of unattainable as a young person just starting out um, their career. Uh, so I got just the basic rudimentary stuff, uh, borrowed some things from a friend who was t- screen printing t-shirts and uh, just started playing around in my basement and watching a ton of YouTube um, mm. and just a whole lot of trial and error wow. to, to get me there. It's funny. Uh, my first time I did it, I, uh, I nailed it. Like registration was on point. The screen washouts worked out great. Everything was so easy. And I was like, this is awesome. It was so perfect. And then of course the second one was just like a disaster. Oh, really? I said every single, every other one, it was just a mess. And I was like, okay, all right. I have stuff quite a bit to learn here. Yeah. If the first one had been a huge failure, would it have, would you still push through pretty easily? That's a good question. I don't know. I'm oh, not really? sure. Cause I hadn't really invested that much money into it. If it, if I'd wasted a majority of the ones that I did on the first run, I might have thought, man, this isn't for me. I'm sure I would have tried some other stuff and tried to print some easier things first. Yeah. But what was your first print? It was a, a Bonana. Um, and it was a image that I'd created in college. Um, that was based on a little cartoon that I'd drawn of a monkey thinking about a bone and a no, a monkey thinking of a banana and a skeleton thinking of a bone. Oh, I've seen this. Have you? Okay, yeah. right on. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, so that became the banana. And then I've done a million iterations of that, that kind of um, image. And so it was the first thing that I wanted to screen print. I was like, I got to bring the banana into this, this setting. That's and I've, I've since made vinyl toys of it. And like, really? Yeah. yeah. Can people buy those anywhere? Yeah. Hit really? On my website. Yeah. All right. We're going to, yeah. Ron we'll Lou plug Horn. that in the show notes. Store. All right. What yeah. was it again? Sorry. RonLuhorn.com slash store. All right. It'll be in yeah. the show notes. Right on. Um, I don't want to let this go. Yeah. You were in bands. Yes. I was in a band in seventh grade. The band name was called Lip Circus. Nice. Let's all laugh together now. Yeah. Do you have some bad band names oh, that you were part so of? so many bad I'll lay it on me. I want to hear it. First one was, uh, um, Spontaneous Combustion because they had a hot sauce in the band room that was called Spontaneous Combustion, which I think is still the hot sauce that's on the market now, but like, oh, that's sweet. If you hadn't told me why you call it Spontaneous You're Combustion, right. I might have thought it was a decent yeah, it's, name. It's all right, right? Okay. Um, then later it was Slow Children at Play. Slow Children at Play. Yeah, we just called ourselves Scap. The kid that I started the band with, he and I would walk from school over to White's where both of our parents worked. And uh, on along the way, there was a few ch- Slow Children at Play signs. <laughs> I think that was it. <laughs> But then from there, uh, started a band called Tours from Zanzibar, 
because we thought Zanzibar was a cool name. It's an island off the coast of Africa. It is a cool name. Um, but then it was like, it was a little out there for people. So we changed it to Tours from Canada. And that one stuck. Tours from Canada was, I was still pretty proud of that. that oh, video. yeah. Um, and then Dietrich in college. And um, everyone called us Diet Rich. <laughs> Come on. Um, and then I was in a band called The Fashion, which was ridiculous because we were like three dudes who didn't have great fashion sense. <laughs> We just thought it sounded cool. Like we are the fashion. Yeah. It comes good on stage. Yeah, I'm sure right? a little pretentious, but exactly. You can go with exactly. It. <laughs> um, and then I was in a band called crossover. Um, there's a handful more. That's um, a pretty impressive list of uh, wonderful names. Oh, the parliament. Oh, the parliament. The parliament because we smoked parliament. <laughs> <laughs> so ridiculous. But everyone's like, you know, there's a band already like George Clinton. I'm like, no, we're not. The Parliament of Funkadelic. We're just the Parliament's. We actually had we had an S. We we're the Parliament's. You uh, the Parliament's could have been a like fifties Motown. Oh, for sure, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, let's talk about screen printing. I'm yeah. guessing just about everyone listening to this probably owns or has owned a screen printed shirt or something, but most people don't know the process. Can you just describe the process a little bit? Sure. Yeah. Um. But majority of the work I do is always an illustrator as the foundation. Um, it can start with a sketch, but it ends up an illustrator to create the vector forms. Um, and then once I illustrate the the line work, the layers of coloring and the layers of shading, each one of those gets exported onto a film um, as a as a single color. So you have a solid black shape that when you take that layer that is now a film, which really is just black ink printed on a transparency. And you set it on a um, screen that's coated in emulsion, which is light sensitive. Um, that black blocks the light from hitting that area. Mm-hmm. So everything else gets hard and that area stays soft. Mm-hmm. And then you spray it out. And so the soft area washes away. And now you have a negative of that um, that's film. Okay. And so then when, once that's done, you have that dried, you can push ink through that. And in that opening is where the ink goes through. So when that screen is pressed up against paper, you scrape ink across that opening and it leaves some ink residue on the paper in that shape. Okay. So you do that layer by layer. You start with the very farthest back layer. So it'd be like the color blocks and then the shading and then the line art on top. Okay. And you're actually putting color on top of color. Or are you blocking out? Like if you're going to do a sky within a mountain, do you color the entire sky, including where the mountain will be? And then your mountain layer goes on top of the sky layer. Sometimes if, okay. if you're looking for those colors to interact in a way that makes another color, uh. um, it's an effective technique to have less screens to make so that you can, where they overlap, have a third color when you're just printing two. Hmm. Um, but typically you're blocking everything out. Um, and I use a lot of half tones and texture and whatnot to create some of the shading. So I don't have to create as many overlap okay. areas because they're real finicky like getting your transparency level correct with your inks because you're adding like a transparency base to your ink oh. to make sure that it lets some of the other color show through and then you're like well now that that blue is super transparent and i'm printing on a cream paper is that blue going to start to look green you know mm-hmm. yeah, it's a bunch of mess uh how long does your process take if you have an idea in your head in the illustrator i'm sure it varies based on the actual subject but all the way to the fact that you're running your first screen through and your first piece through I mean, depending on who I'm working for, obviously approval processes and stuff with working with bands can get super hairy. Uh, but I mean, I think there's been times when there's a band coming in through town on the weekend and I know I need to get posters done in time for that, but I've, I've finished the process in a week mm-hmm. um, where 
concept starts on Monday, gets approved, output films, screen print a couple of days before. Uh, then got to go get the paper trimmed down. I was using Falkenberg mm. um, to get them trimmed and then uh, signing and numbering everything so that they're artist additions and a little more valuable and a little more legitimate and stamping the back with my logo and website. Uh, that's almost more labor intensive than uh, yeah. actually screen printing them huh. um, and then showing up at the show with them. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I've heard you talk about how you appreciated the tactile sense of mm. screen printing and that you know, everything happens on a screen. I hope I'm not putting words in your mouth. Tell yeah. me if I am, but everything happens on a screen. It gets pretty cold and it gets pretty clinical. I think about it in my sense, like I am by no means an artist, but I can open up Illustrator and I can mimic something I've seen. Yeah. Um, I know I couldn't do what you do <laughs> in any realm of the sense. Uh, yeah, I couldn't even create your, create your Illustrator file, but still <laughs> nonetheless, um, what is it about the tactile experience that you that you desire, that you really enjoy? A big part of a, uh, the push for that desire to screen print was about contrast too. And I feel like, um, even if it's something as simple as like playing Xbox, um, if, if you are just constantly at your computer, constantly creating, um, and I'm a, I'm a big night owl too. I work till two or three in the morning, most nights. Mm. And, uh, that's some of the most creative hours I feel like. And from that 10 to 3am time. Um, but if you're constantly at that screen for those, those day hours and then your night hours, um, so you hit, you hit creative walls all the time. Um, and any sort of contrast to break you away from that so that you can come back to it fresh. Um, uh, often we'll use Xbox for that, uh, but <laughs> screen printing was a, a much different way. So I'm still creating, still producing. Um, but it's such a different process than sitting in illustrator that when I would go to it, I'd be super stoked to work on screen printing. I'd do that for the whole weekend straight, like printing a ton of posters and I'm like, I'm sick of this, ready to go set in a cubicle again. Okay. Um, and then back and forth, just reigniting passion for what you're working on. Okay. That's yeah. cool. Um, so as an artist, you're always creating things that have never existed before. And that kind of then implies that you're creating a process to create something that's never existed before. Uh, how do you approach learning? Like you, you're a constant learner in, in my eyes. Do you have an approach that you take to when you learn something? Are you the type that interviews a lot of people or are you a hands-on kind of learner? Um, definitely hands-on. Um, I love to just dive into new things and play around with them until I figure out how I can make them work for my process. Do you have any tips for someone that's trying to teach themselves? Um, you know, I think in seeking inspiration um, and finding things that you love and then trying to learn how they produce that. Um, and then using those skills you learn in that process of trying to mimic what they've done and applying those to your own aesthetic. Um, I mean, I feel like every stage of, of my creative growth has been some sort of mimicry um, to a point where even if it's not like, hey, I like this guy's illustration. I want to illustrate the exact same thing. But it's like, hey, I like this photographer's lighting and I want to use similar lighting in an illustration that I'm working on. Um, I like this guy's color palette that he has um, in a painting and I want to use that in a digital illustration, that kind of thing. Um, mm -hmm. But those, those little pieces of inspiration, um, while not inspiring any sort of um, ripping people off, it's just a, a, a giant amount of, of inspiration piled in together produces something new out of you. Mm -hmm. Who's inspiring you right now? Um... You know, I'm, I've been a huge fan of Aaron Draplin for a long time. His thick lines and, and clean illustration. Um, you know, it's it's not about 
specific artist as much as it is like I'll go to sites like found and um, dribble and design inspiration um, and just look at a feed of a million images um, and the little pieces out of there that click and inspire a new little thought or idea um, are what really push me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I get on dribble occasionally and you'll see several pieces that say, don't steal this. <laughs> right. Um, or don't copy this. Like yeah. it sounds like you kind of in, not that you're encouraging the theft of an idea, but you're encouraging the iteration of an idea. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Um, how do you feel about where design's at right now? You know, Dribble's an interesting um, social study in the community of design with the whole um, something gets popular and then you immediately see your entire feed full of, of similar stuff. I think the the hand lettering movement was a big mm-hmm. example of that as well, where it's just like, man, this style got super cool really quick. And then now everyone's doing it. Um, and where I think the the takeaway from that is to to see how they're doing something similar to that, and then what's your tweak on it? Mm-hmm. What's what's your new offering from that? The uh, I, I jumped into the lettering game with uh, um, when I started working with Indiana City a few years ago. The he was looking for something fresh and new for his labels, and I was like, you know, I've always wanted to play around with these Japanese brush pins and mm-hmm. um, play around with some lettering stuff. And uh, and that's actually another connection to my mom. She did a, a ton of calligraphy work. Oh. Um, like she'd have people who were getting their wedding invitations done reach out to her, be like, hey, will you address all of our envelopes? For address us? them all? Yeah, exactly. Oh and man, so she'd, like hand addressed a ton of cards growing up. Um, but I I learned some of that from her um, with letter forms and pin control. Um, but then I, I, so I was jumped into that with Indiana City for the labels and I was like, you know, I'm not going to just find a style of these letters that I like and and rip it off. I'm going to see how I can take that and apply my own uh, aesthetic to it. And like mm-hmm. I said before, I really like texture. Um, and so I was working on rougher paper and I was letting my brush get um, kind of dried out mm-hmm. so that those, those marks of the creation of the letters would show. So it was fairly quick. I could mm. knock out one of those little letter forms fairly fast, but then I take it into Photoshop and use warp tool and, and yeah. all that jazz to clean it up a little bit. But, um, it was, it was super inspiring, but it, it is back to your original question. Um, the state of design, man, I, yeah. I went way off. No, uh, go, as where, go, where you wanna, go where you want to go. Um, I think everyone needs to push for that, that, that tweak, um, to where it's it, anything that inspires you, you can't be putting out the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. Um, if someone wants to get started in screen printing, where do you, where would you point them? Like they like the idea they think it sounds cool. They want to get their hands inky. Yeah. Um, what would you tell them to go to do just to try it? It's something I wish existed when I was trying to do it. Um, Cathead press here in Indy. Cathead press. Yeah. They are a little shop where you can just rent time there. Hmm. Um, you can take classes from there. Um, you can just get your hands wet and, and learn some of the process from them. Um, it's super affordable and you don't have to invest a ton of, ton of money into like the equipment to see if it's for you. But they also have like a, a couple other types of printing available in there as well. Um, so maybe it's not even screen printing. You get in there, you think you want to screen print. Like, oh, this other press printmaking process hmm. is cool to me. Um, I would have killed for something like that when oh, I was yeah. starting out. Um, so if you can find a collective that's like that, I think that there's tons of them popping up all over the country. But um, that would be the ideal way to jump into it. If you're, if you're in a situation where you're not able to, to find one of those that you're able to access, um, YouTube's amazing. I mean, you can find people just doing the bare bones minimum of what's needed to create the process mm-hmm. in their basements or in a closet or using their bathroom for their washout booth. Um, it's not hard to pull off, but I, I mean, trial and error. Yeah. Okay. 
whole lot of air. Whole lot of air. Yeah. So get you there. Yep. Um, so I think the first piece of yours that I ever saw was the gig poster for cake at the Egyptian room. Right on. Yeah. It was, I mean, 2011, I think. Yeah. Yeah. It's been a while. Yep. Um, why did you start putting your energy towards musicians? Like you talked to earlier, but you had been in bands, you were kind of interested in it, but you had been doing lots of other art up until that point and something triggered you to go that direction. Um, the, the cake thing was unique in that, um, I've always been really drawn to the vintage aesthetic of like fifties advertising, um, old worn images that show their, the years and age on them. Um, and I've always loved cake's aesthetics. It felt like it really, um, vibed well with mine. And when they're getting ready to come to town, it was just a super lucky opportunity that MOKB was like, Hey, we're doing some promotional material for him. And I, we had just done a mayor Hawthorne gig poster um, at the Vogue. And he's like, Hey, do you want to do another gig poster with, but this time for cake? And I was like, what? Like, come on the best opportunity. Yeah. And so I, I dove in real deep on that one where I was like, I'm going to go all out. And I illustrated this, that, uh, radio receiver box. Yeah. I just wanted like a classic old, um, music related item to illustrate. Um, and then I love that square format of, uh, of their album art and whatnot. And so I wanted to kind of mimic that. So people hated me afterwards cause they bought a post and I'm like, you know how much is this to frame? Uh, <laughs> like, well, actually I sized the the frame to, uh, to fit the square frames from Ikea at the time. It's like, oh. all you gotta do is go buy a square frame at Ikea. It's perfect. <laughs> um, but yeah, that, I mean, that, that connection to still have a foot in the door with the music industry and, and see some creative connection there with the work that I was producing was a, a big push for all that. We are going to pause right here. The conclusion to my interview with Aaron will show up in your feed in two weeks on November 29th. Aaron's work can be seen right now at the Tube Factory Art Space. He partnered with writer Jason Romer on an exhibit called Freaks and Geeks. It will be at the gallery until November 18th if you want to go see it in person. Uh, lastly, Aaron mentioned his Bone Nana, the half banana, half bone mashup that he created in multiple iterations of his art. Well, he has offered to give a couple of the 3D printed Bone Nana sculptures away. Uh, so share this episode on Twitter and tag at no indie show and Ron Luhorn in your post. So at no indie show, all three words, all in one word and at Ron Luhorn, that's R O N L E W H O R N Ron Luhorn. Uh, yes. Tag both of them in your post and we'll pick one of your tweets and the winner will get a bone Nana sculpture from Aaron. Uh, as always, find me on the socials at No Indie Show and learn more at noindie.com. Thank you for listening. Okay, kids, that's show number 109 officially in the books. I hope you enjoyed Stephen's chat with Aaron Skimmerhorn. And if we're lucky, maybe Stephen will let us share part two in a few weeks. Tweet to Ad Obsessed Show and let us know what you think. 
Don't forget to check out my new 59 Second Friday series about personal branding on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash Josh Miles. It would mean a lot to me if you would hit that subscribe button. You can get all of today's show notes on our website at obsessedshow.com. And if you haven't already while you're there, please add your email address to our newsletter. I'll update you on some of the cool things that I find in my daily obsessions. Also, we've added links on the show to all the places you can find the show. iTunes, Stitcher, iHeartRadio, SoundCloud, Google Play, Spotify. So no matter where you listen to podcasts, chances are you can find Obsessed with Design from there. Just head over to obsessedshow.com to find those links. While you're at it, hit up iTunes to subscribe to Obsessed with Design. We'd love to also have a rating and review to help others find the show. Obsessed with Design is a product of the Design Obsessed team at Miles Herndon, a branding agency in beautiful downtown Indianapolis. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next time.